Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with my friend uh, Rob Henderson today, and we're going to talk about The uh, Many Saints of Newark, the new Sopranos prequel that just came out uh, a week or two ago, about a, about three, three or four days ago in the U.S., and then earlier in the U.K. and elsewhere, I think. Um, Rob, how are you doing? Good, Richard. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, but well, not because of this movie. I mean, this movie made me really, <laughs> really unhappy. Uh, so yeah. we, we've done, we've done a Sopranos uh, podcast before, and we're both big fans of the show. We think it's brilliant. Uh, you know, we think the characters are compelling. Um, you know, we we really just uh, you know I probably you know I don't know if I'm not going to speak for you, but I became emotionally invested uh, in the characters in the story. So somebody makes a prequel. Right, I'll take that as I'll take that as canon. I'll take that as you know the re- the real Sopranos universe. Uh, yeah, and this one, I think, you know, I think it was uh, it wasn't even about the Sopranos. It was just about taking political obsessions of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one and shoving them all into a movie. Uh, so basically, the, the main characters aren't even the Italian mob. The main character is basically a black guy um, in Newark, right? He, uh, I would say he's sort of a co-lead. No, I, I would still say Dickie Moltisanti was sort of the, the primary protagonist, but the, the advertising was misleading because you're sort of led to believe that young Tony, Michael Gandolfini, is going yeah, to, to, to be like the primary character and the, the protagonist, but he's very much a sort of secondary or tertiary character, and it's more centered on Dickie and and Harold, who's this sort of black uh, associate of the mob, um, who yeah. does take up considerably more time than than Tony himself. Um, yeah, but I don't know if he if he's like the the sort of star of the show. I don't okay, know. Okay, well, he's like, he's at least a co star. Okay, so it, it's yeah. already you know it's now half BLM right and half Sopranos. <laughs> and, yeah, and this guy's origin mm-hmm. story. He, mm-hmm. you know, he's working for uh, Dickie Baltasante. Dickie Baltasante, I mean, for those who are not as familiar with uh, the Sopranos universe, um, he is uh, uh, Chris Baltasante's uh, father, and he mm-hmm. is a relative. I think we think we think a cousin of Carmela, um, and he knew Tony, and so he grew up with these guys. So he's hanging out with a young Sill and a young Polly uh, in the movie. Um, and, you know, like little Tony is like, you know, 10. And then there's a part where he's like 15 and little Tony like follows him around everywhere. And so that's the relationship between all these people. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, so this so this black guy, what's his name again? I forget. Harold. Harold. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So Harold, uh, you know, he, 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 he goes on the run because he observes police brutality. He observes police shooting some rioters. Right. Or yeah. no, he goes, you know, he kills one of his uh, associates, one of the black guys who, who stole well, him or something. But the later yeah. he, he does get involved with like, you know, he's like angry black over. Panthers. Yeah. So he's doing, he's doing that. Um, and he's, well, okay, so, uh, yeah. I, is, did he really get involved? I mean, you know, of course, like there was that, that instance of police brutality, which I, apparently it was inspired by something that happened in Newark in the late 1960s. There were riots in that area as a consequence of some kind of police brutality thing. But I don't know if that was like, I mean, the, the movie makes it out to be like, that was the inciting incident for his sort of movements towards sort of, uh, you know, black power or something. But Harold, you know, I think he also sort of got swept up in the times, right? Like the first, you know, time period of the movie is like the sort of uh, what, like the late 1960s. Right. And then, and then later when, when Tony Soprano was older and like sort of uh, the later time period of the film, 
it's like the mid 1970s. And so I think like that was sort of a tumultuous period of American history where like there were people who were like, you know, maybe like not whatever. They didn't have like a racial consciousness. But then like, you know, through the 60s and the 70s, you did have these like movements cropping up and like hippies. And, you know, that was like overnight things had changed yeah. in America. Okay, fine, fine. Make a movie is, about that. But don't use yeah. the which, which David Chase did want to do. I think David Chase wanted to do that. I think like part of the reason you and I are both disappointed in this movie is because David Chase, I think he wanted to make a movie about the Newark riots because he remembered them from his childhood. But I'm not sure if he could like get the funding or secure the sort of interest that he wanted in the film unless he sort of folded it into a Sopranos prequel. And I think this is sort of like why the movie was so disappointing, honestly, is like, you know, I, I listened to some some interviews with david chase about this because i was really excited man like i was like as soon as this movie was announced i was like reading about it and like when the cast Mac- michael gandolfini i was like this movie's gonna be you know it's looking like it's gonna be pretty good and david chase himself said like you know when he set out to make this film he wanted it to be a um a really good gangster movie you know of course like you know it's supposed to you know sort of pay tribute to the sopranos but he wanted it to be a really good gangster movie it wasn't a good gangster movie. <laughs> like it yeah. wasn't a good Sopranos movie. It wasn't a good gangster movie. It wasn't even really that good in terms of portraying the riots. I don't think simply because like I, I even that aspect of the story gets watered down because he tries to make a Sopranos movie. And yeah. So, so yeah, I think there was, yeah. he tried to do like both like too, too much with it. And he didn't like seem to know what he wanted this movie to, to be. Yeah. Well, it's not just the, um, so it's you know it's not just the fact that they took the took this uh, focus off the Italian mob and put it mm. on the, this black guy Harold. It's like the sto- the the way the story is presented, right? So he's uh, he he's first working for Dickie Maldasanti, and then he decides you know this this line gets me. He's like, "We're gonna be you know I'm gonna have the first black run numbers game." Like, okay, if he wants to run a numbers game, fine. Right. But he does it, but the, the criminals do not think in terms of they're looking at Newark's history and saying, I'm going to be the first black man to do this. Right. That was just such a, you know, fake BS scene. And then his friend, uh, he's got this uh, friend who he's, he's like, man, we can't go up against the mob. The, you know, the Italians, they got a lot of soldiers. He's like, ain't you a soldier? And he's like, yeah. no, I never thought about myself like that. Well, maybe you yeah. should start, right? It's like, oh, you don't have to live with these stereotypes. You can, you can overcome them, right? It's so cliche. It's not well, that. It's not like people. I mean, this is the way, like the New York Times are like the first black numbers game in, in Newark, right? It's not yeah. the way that the criminals <laughs> think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was well. If you so, one thing that's interesting is if you look at the. Um, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes critics versus audience score, that's usually like a, a decent barometer of like who like who this movie appeals to. Does it appeal to sort of cultural elite taste? Like how high is the critic score? And then yeah. the, the, you know, how, how much does like the average viewer, how much did they enjoy it? And in this case, it's like the Rotten Tomatoes score for this movie is like 50 percent among the audience. So like half the audience didn't like this movie. And then for the critics, it's like 70, 75 percent. So the critics tended to enjoy this film. So it was, I think, sort of pandering to critics to sort of people with culturally elite taste, people who would like appreciate the sort of racial elements of this movie and the sort of racial awakening of the Harold character. Um, well, one thing that like stood out to me, like another reason why this movie falls flat, because it it, unf- it like unfavorably compares to, of course, it unfavorably compares to the series of The Sopranos, but there's the, the Frank Lucas character who's like the black boss of like the black crime family 
Um, and, and, you know, maybe you, I don't know if you've seen the movie American Gangster, the 2007 movie with Denzel Washington. I I, I think so. This this is the guy who was down in North Carolina. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's from there, but I know that he, for a while, like wielded a lot of power, like as much or more than the mafia itself in in New York City. You're not talking about a real person. Okay. Yeah, Frank Lucas was a real guy who was like somehow like uh, uh, originally worked, I think, for the Italian mob, but then later uh-huh. sort of started his own thing and gained a lot of power and like whatever. And so, so Denzel Washington portrayed him, and it was a good movie, two thousand seven, American Gangster. But then, like this movie, Many Saints, like I think it tried to like borrow some elements from that movie and from that story of Frank Lucas with with the Harold character. And and I think um, Frank Lucas himself was actually in this movie very briefly, um, and and yeah, it just it just didn't work. Like it, the 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 origin story of this Harold character, who no nobody knew who this guy was. If you're a fan of The Sopranos, like he was never mentioned. I guess he's loosely yeah. um, sort of you know related to or um, or associated with Willie Overall, um, who was the very first person Tony Soprano killed. Uh, when he was a young man, he was the guy that Tony's dad sort of had him kill this guy, Willie Overall. Like in in the series in season six, Tony and Polly have to go like you know on the run because I guess like the FBI yeah, or something. Like, so, wait, what's yeah. the relationship between the, that Willie guy and this guy? They briefly mentioned Willie Overall in Many Saints. Like I think uh, Harold and like you know one of his like black associates very briefly mentioned Willie Overall or something like that. And I think like. You know, so then, like, if you're a fan of The Sopranos, you kind of like understand that there's a connection there. And then later on, like, when Tony grows up a little bit more, he's going to have to kill this guy. Uh-huh. But that's that was another thing. It's like it was fun for me, like those little moments of like because I'm like, you know, I'm a Soprano super fan, and like I've watched these show like episodes many times. Like I could pick those pick those little moments out. But like, if you're not a f- big like if you're not a huge fan of the series, and like you don't really know what's going on. The the movie itself didn't have like much of an arc. <laughs> like it was like one scene after another. You you never get invested in the characters. Yeah. I don't know. What, what like did you have like any feeling or of attachment at all to, you know, Tony, to Dicky? I mean, we can get into like Dicky's arc too, but I yeah, mean, if you want to sort of well, yeah, weird. get into that. Well, okay, I mean, yeah, but you I mean, the race stuff is not even uh, it's not, I mean, it's like, it's like half of it. Right. I thought, I thought there yeah. was a real big feminist, you know, uh, arc throughout it, but the one who has a real <laughs> okay. arc is the, okay. So every part of the this Italian is woman. Just so, yeah. The Italian woman. So every part mm-hmm. of this is just terrible because her, because uh, her, uh, his dad, Dickie Monson's dad brings her back from Italy and he's marries her, right? She's this pretty young Italian woman and he's an old guy, right? Uh, Ray Liotta, he, the Ray Liotta character. Yeah. yeah, so Dickie Maltasante Sr. like pushes her down the stairs or beats her up. And then his son kills him over it, which is like doesn't yeah, Dickie seem very Jr. realistic. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that seems very realistic. I think beating your wife among that that crowd was pretty normal. And for a guy to kill his father, like a mobster to kill his father over that, I, it struck me as very, very implausible. Uh, but, you know, maybe plausible for, you know, for the critics who would, who would like that, right? If you want to make a, a gangster sympathetic. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you notice this, like, so Tony Soprano, like in the show, like never beats his wife. So like the guys who are like, uh, you're supposed to like see protagonists, like you, you can kill people, but you can't, you can't be a wife beater, right? That That's just like not allowed. Uh, yeah. In, yeah. In, I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, but, but I don't know if they would get mad about it. There was that, you know, so I guess we're going to have to, we're going to have to constantly reference the Sopranos to understand this movie as, as much as we, you know, if this movie can be understood in that way. But uh, Richie April in season two, there's that there's that scene with between uh, so Tony and Richie are at the table and Christopher Moltisanti is there and 
uh, Richie was like, you know, I heard that you put your hands on my niece, referencing Adriana. I guess, oh, I uh, so. yeah, and and uh, and you know, whatever he he said something like, you know, you sh- you know, if I hear that you put your hands on my niece again, you and I are going to have words. But yeah, I guess until, that unless true. you give unless you give her your name, <laughs> that's what he said. Oh, yeah, once yeah, you yeah, give her right, your name, right. like if you guys are married, it's not my business. If you want to beat her up bad, yeah. but until then, don't don't. Yeah. don't. So it, it was like. You're right. Like they, Tony never hit his wife. We don't really know about the situation with the other guys, but I think it's like they they usually didn't inflict violence on their wives. But I think if they did, it wouldn't have been like something to murder them over, right? Yeah. Especially well, like the, God, the Godfather know. movie. Uh, what was the Godfather? Was it Godfather One where they really? I mean, it was Sonny goes to kill the guy because he he beat the sister, right? So it's like it, it's sort of a. Mm. Uh, yeah, it is. You know, it does happen. But this was this was you know forty. This was fifty years ago. I mean, this was this was an early. Yeah, that was, was the late nineteen sixties. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And these were like these were like criminal. Like, you know, these were criminals, right? Like, they didn't have like that kind. They didn't think about the world in that way. They wouldn't have been that enlightened. I mean, yeah, that was a very odd scene. But I, I guess like what my my interpretation of the whole film based on sort of what we know about David Chase and what we know about the Sopranos is like there, there was this sort of um, Freudian or Oedipal themes of the film, right. Of like Dickie killing his father, like, you know, killing the father, marrying his stepmother or not marrying her, but like falling in love with her and having sex with whatever. theme. I mean, she's an adult woman who anybody would be attracted. It's not like, it's not the same as the, uh, uh, it's not the, it's not the same thing. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think I think there was like something something about this about like killing killing the father sort of falling in love with the mistress although he he ends up murdering her too yeah um, but that's sort of like what what like those themes are, are ever present in the Sopranos where like you know Melfi and Tony constantly have that tension about uh, Livia and how Tony constantly accuses Melfi of saying oh you you're saying that I'm in love with my mom I want to fuck my mom like you mm-hmm. know and, and then uh, in in many saints. Tony, young Tony, is is uh, trying to get these um, antipsychotic or anti, you know, these these sort of psychiatric medications for oh, his mom. Oh, that was worse than anything because <laughs> that was the that was the most uh, implausible part. Because when he's an adult in The Soprano, so like, okay, so 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 there's an agenda here that like these people, these backwards people um, who are just you know working class and you know criminals, obviously, but like one generation or two generations removed from uh, immigrating to the country, they're so backwards they don't take mind altering drugs, you know, whatever a doctor uh, recommends that they do so. And so like Tony is like trying to go against the grade, and like his mom is miserable, and he's like trying to get his mom these these uh, whatever what, what are they anti antidepressants? Psych- yeah, psych- psychiatric meds yeah and uh and so like that's like a theme throughout the throughout the show now when tony like when he so if tony's like that woke on psychiatry at like 15 right when he's seeing a psychiatrist later in the show he's very skeptical right mm, well okay so like well c- clearly tony did end up seeing the psychiatrist. i, I don't think oh, tony it had was a, um... it was court ordered what oh no N- uh, no it wasn't he he did it because of the panic attacks no, um, the, but the beginning. I thought it was was it wasn't it court ordered at the beginning. No, 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 no. It wasn't. It was never court ordered. Tony sure? saw Melfi because he, you know, he was he kept ha- like he had the panic attack. Saw Melfi said like fuck this, I'm not coming back. And then he had another panic attack and he returned and sort of uh, uh, resigned himself to the fact that he would have to continue seeing her because of the uh, you know his issues with with, with the panic attacks. But, but, so but, I but, think but, like Tony himself was. Yeah, in, in the in the in the series, yeah, the Soprano series. But I think like so. So Tony, you know, he was like I don't think he ever had a 
like personally a big problem with therapy. I think he was more concerned with how it looked to the guys, how like how it could possibly endanger his life, like how, you know, basically like the the, the risks associated with 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 therapy rather than like sort of like not taking it, you know, having having a negative view of it himself. But but I think like as a young kid, like he wasn't he wasn't thinking that in, in those kind of sophisticated terms about like, how do I feel about psychiatry or whatever? I think for, for the, you know, he really just wanted like his mom to get better. Right. Like th- that was another kind of inconsistency between the the movie and, and the, and then the series was that yeah. um, <laughs> there was a, a scene in the series where Tony and Melfi are talking about, you know, Melfi says, do you have any happy memories of your family? And Tony says like, Oh, one time my dad fell down the stairs and everyone was laughing, including my mom. It was so funny. And, and that was like his happy memory. But then like the movie tries to like, I don't know, soften Tony up and like make make yeah. the character seem more likable where there's the school counselor saying like, oh, Tony told uh, told me about how you read him a bedtime story. Yeah. And that's and his he favorite. Was like, was like, like what? what kind of 15 year old like go, forget like a mobster son, like goes to his uh, guidance counselor and says when my mommy curled up with me and read a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, exactly. That's what I, was it? Was he 15 or was he? He was 15. He, years I think old, he was right? 17. He okay, was seven, yeah, that was I, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that was hate, a little. It was really a feminized liberalism. This love of psychiatry, <laughs> the guy like you know with his mom, like needing his yeah. mom. It was, it was, if, you know, what happened to David Chase between you know, it's what happened to liberalism, like in the last fifteen years, right? It's become really yeah. feminized. Really, like I didn't know, like even leftists were like really into psych- psychiatric drugs and like seeing it as backwards if like you don't want to take it I-, I didn't think that was like a mainstream like woke liberal idea but somehow yeah somehow that's sort of the perspective of this uh show yeah i mean with with tony so again back to many saints i think like you know re- returning these sort of freudian oedipal themes like tony himself like he's having these you know they, they try to create they try to make him into like this sort of sensitive young kid who just wants, you know, his mom to love him or to get a have a good relationship with his mom. And so that's, you know, you very clearly see him with this pamphlet. You know, this was the ad for the psychiatric med. There's this pamphlet with a blonde woman who's like smiling and like literally glowing. And Tony like keeps carrying this pamphlet around. And I think for Tony, he just like he wants that to be his mom, like this happy, positive woman full of love. And like Livia, I have to say, like the the, the actor, uh, Vera Farmiga actually did a pretty good job playing Livia. Um, that was actually like one of the more like fun, fun, uh, uh, experiences like to see her like capture, I think pretty well, like the mannerisms and the accent and everything of, of Livia Soprano and just that sort of like utter like negativity and yeah. like undercutting him was like really, really well done. And, and so, you know, of course, like Tony's like just trying to get these meds for her. He wants to have that, like, you know, good relationship with the mom and eventually, uh dickie does get those meds right like at the very end yeah uh he gets the meds and that this is when he shot and they they, you know someone someone says like oh they found pills in his pocket um yeah and i think like so what's interesting is that herself says oh my god i knew he was weak I knew he was weak. Yeah. yeah something like <laughs> Jesus that, yeah. Christ. And, uh, and then, uh, but, but there was something interesting about that too. This is another sort of Sopranos Easter egg is that Christopher Moltisanti, you know, he had that whole arc with his addiction and rehab and struggles with drinking and everything. And I guess like it was just sort of uh, like lore among like the, the crew and the sort of like Moltisanti and the Sopranos that uh, Christopher's father was an addict. Like that was, do you remember this? That like, there was that uh, very, 
No, like, I don't remember that. It was referenced a couple of times. Like the most sort of um, striking example of this was when Tony and, and Christopher were speaking, over, I think, over the barbecue grill. And Chris says something like, let's be honest, Tone. Like, um, you know, my, my dad, the great Dickie Moltisanti, wasn't much more than a fucking junkie. Oh, yeah. and, and Tony, like, you know, he's kind of silent and taken aback by this because Dickie was Tony's hero as a kid growing up. Um, and so as that, so I remember that going into this movie, like, all right, so who, if the movie's going to be about Dickie Moltisanti, is his arc going to be similar to Chris's? Is he going to like start out with promise and then get addicted or what? He was right. never addicted. He was never an addict. The whole yeah. rumor of his addiction started because they found pills in his pocket. I think that was where the rumor started. Uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good so, point. So that's an interesting thing, right? But like, you know, you have to like be deep in the Sopranos to understand that part of the movie, which most people aren't going to be. Um, but like, so so I think like those like David Chase weaved in these sort of clever um, moments to like f- for like super fans of the show. Um, but but again, like I think he was trying to do too much, and so it, it didn't quite make up for it. Yeah. So going back to I mean to the other political thing. So you have the psych- poor psychiatry thing. You have the uh, BLM thing. You, and then mm. the, the feminist thing we didn't talk about. So this Italian woman she marries Dickie Maltesante, this, this younger, and she like you know she wants to like her dream right is to open some kind of a you know a beauty salon. Like a, right? like a beauty salon. Yeah. And, yeah. and so yeah. that's her. And so that's her arc, right? She's like she's came to this country and now she like she got beaten by her husband and now she wants to like be a businesswoman even like there's one scene where she's like uh, with another woman in some kind in some kind of store or some kind of a uh, salon and then she's like you know I didn't want to be a nun I wanted to be a priest so I could do whatever I want it was so <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. over the yeah, top yeah, yeah. and then and then you know she uh and then she goes and she uh, sleeps she sleeps with Harold right the black guy like I don't think any woman is doing that in, in the mob in the 1970s and like from from you know a poor person from italy right like that taboo that taboo violation right would have been so extreme for a woman in her position right well she was shown to be a little bit kooky though from the beginning right like remember when she like kissed dickie when she was still married to his oh, dad yeah, that was funny yeah, she, she was, was like shown to be a little off her rocker but yeah but uh, yeah so i mean like other scene, the, the combination yeah. of the of the feminism and the and the and the uh and the race stuff where he's um uh, you know, they're, they're, she, you know, he's telling her, like, she's telling him, like, oh, the Italian, you know, the Italian guys, they don't want their woman to work. And he's like, baby, if you were my girl, you could work, you know, all you want. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then she tells him, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Dickie says that, um, uh, black man doesn't have the head for making money. And then he says, that's what we gonna find out, right? So it's like he's yeah, over, yeah. he's sleeping with the Italian man's uh, girlfriend, Gumar, not not his wife, and he's yeah, uh, yeah, and he's and he's gonna show him, he's gonna overcome his stereotypes, right? It's it, 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 like one or two of those scenes, is okay, but it, I found this again and again. It had these little, you know, these little feminist and, and these uh, sort of uh, uh, you know race conscious themes, and yeah, people yeah. are race conscious, but you know, like when when like the 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 view of race in like The Sopranos and the show. Was like you saw it through the Italian mob's eyes, right? You saw it through these guys' eyes. There wasn't like there wasn't really any uh, black characters. You knew they were racist, and they had a view. And black people had this, you know, uh, this uh, they had these ideas about black people. Had that they had their sort of uh, role to play in in their universe, right? This one is taking the. Uh, you know, this one is taking the, you know, 10,000 feet cosmic justice, like liberal view of the race relations, right? Another scene, mm-hmm. when when he, when he kills his dad, he's driving through the Newark riots, 
and the cops he's got a dead body right and the the cop is like let him through he's white right it's like it's like okay like he can get away with murder because he's white he has all this white privilege it's just you know in a two-hour movie you have like 10 15 of these things i mean i found it really really over the top um you know I, i wonder how much of this is like you know how much of this was a conscious choice like well, especially like, you know, given the events of the last, you know, 18 months or so, like, did, did David Chase want those scenes in there? Because like David Chase himself, I've listened to interviews with him where he has uh, acknowledged that The Sopranos today couldn't be made. Uh, yeah. You know, the so I, I listened to the Talking Sopranos podcast and David, you know, they asked him, like, do you think The Sopranos could be made today? And David Chase said, like, no, like I, I heard, um, uh, you know, someone basically one of the networks said they're not going to take any more pitches uh, if the plots contain uh, women who are trying to use sex to get to get what they want. Wow. And and David Chase said, like, look, The Sopranos was all about people scheming and manipulating and doing everything they can to get what they want, you know, the men and the women. And so and so and, you know, David Chase is clearly like well aware of like, you know, shifts in the wind and changing times and whatever. And I don't think like Chase himself is like woke or anything, but I wonder if he had to like make concessions to get this film made or if there were like other writers who wanted him to like implement these things because it's just so out of character from like what we know about the series, The Sopranos and how like it never took these sort of like moralistic perspectives on on race relations like, you know, just like the Italians were like casually racist and that's just how it was and there was no like you know, like this didn't like, yeah, there there was no like sort of finger wagging about any of it uh, in the show. Whereas in the movie, like you said, there were, there were a few of these. Um, Well, something else that was, so so again, like, you know, so I've consumed like a lot of interviews, read a lot of stuff about this movie and Alessandro Nivola, who plays Dickie Moltisanti, he had an interview where he, they asked him, you know, how did you play this character? And he said something interesting, which was, um, so Dickie himself, he said that he played him two different ways uh, interacting with the Harold character, the black guy. Um, yeah. When it was just those two alone, uh, Dickie was basically Harold's friend. You know, like there's that very er- opening scene where Harold's chasing, uh, you know, the young black kid, like the sort of yeah. uh, low level drug dealer. And then like right. Dickie catches up with Harold and offers him a cigarette and they're basically buddies. But then later, the, like the very next scene, they're in a scene together. Um Dickie's father is in the room in the 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 back of the pork store, uh, you know the the dark table, and all the guys are hanging out. And Harold drops by, and then Dickie is suddenly like a little bit colder towards Harold. And I guess the reason for this was that his dad was there, and so mm-hmm. he felt like he had to be like a little bit more cold. I thought it was towards, nice. I think it was nice to him. Yeah, I, I thought it was, I, I didn't think he. I, I thought he was fine. I read. Didn't, yeah. uh, didn't they talk about high school football or something? Like, I, think I think they briefly, mentioned. Yeah, yeah, I but so. I think in front of every, I think that was in front of everybody. Uh, yeah, but then like Dicky Senior made like some kind of snide remark. Someone, someone said something like kind of snide about it, and then um, and I think yeah, Dicky was he wasn't quite the same. I mean, he wasn't unfriendly towards Harold, but he wasn't like you know he wasn't as close with him. But of course, like even even uh, Dicky himself, Dicky Junior, he was kind of um, well, he was very clearly shown. You know, one of the things that's funny reading the critics. Uh, review this is how frequently they have to talk about like oh you know tony's evil racist father and tony's evil racist uncle and it was like that was they were that was the 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 sort of typical attitude of like you know whoever you know whatever like sort of like person back then in the 1970s 
Um, yeah. And then like, you know, Dickie after he murders or when he's about to murder um, his Gumar for sleeping with Harold, you know, he drops a racial slur. He's clearly very, he's angry, not just at the infidelity, well, but the fact funny. that she's a you know black guy. You know what's funny about that, that scene? Because he goes, you slept with that murdering. And then he says N-word. And then yeah. the N-word. He doesn't say N-word. Uh, and the... Uh, <laughs> And it's funny because he put murdering as an uh, adjective, which I th- I think a racist Italian mobster wouldn't have hated him for being murdering. I think he yeah. would have hated him for the race things. I think he would have emphasized that. So I think they soft pedaled the racism by saying that murdering N-word rather than yeah. just that N-word. You, you know what I'm saying? Because Dickie yeah. Maltesato, you, you still need, they still needed to uh, – uh, he's, well, he was still sort of a protagonist. He was still sort of a good guy. You're supposed to care about him, and that's hard yeah. to do when he's that racist. And so by calling him a murdering blank, yeah. right, that 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 let you like keep him as like you know as a you know quote unquote good guy. Because the other thing he does, you know, he goes he visits his uncle in prison and tries to do a good deed. So he's like supposed to be like struggling with this stuff, right? Sort of like Tony is, you know, a generation yeah. later. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, when he visits his uncle in prison, you know, again, played by Ray Liotta, but, you know, playing playing two characters after the father oh, wait, is killed. Was, the same guy. <laughs> was, was, it, was it not? Was it not Ray Liotta? I, know, would be a weird I think it do. was. They looked alike, um, but... I'm pretty sure, yeah. Um, Ray Liotta plays both the father and then, you know, Dickie kills the father and then he goes to visit his uncle who looks, you know, very much like the father. It's the same actor, I'm pretty sure, Ray Liotta. Uh, Ray Liotta played like... So, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like, they needed some kind of, like, moral center in the in the movie, I guess. And Ray Liotta... So, so yeah. like, in The Sopranos show, basically everyone in The Sopranos is, like, amoral at best, right? Like, sort of, like, scheming, like, criminals, whatever. Even, like, the sort of bystanders, like Carmela, are sort of, like, complicit in all these crimes. And yeah. Melfi was, like, the sort of moral center of the show. Like, sort of the... She was like the audience surrogate for like the sort of upper middle class HBO subscribing viewer to like mm-hmm. their way into this world. And I think they didn't really have that this time for the movie. But Ray Liotta, the character, the uncle, he was um, seen to be like the way that they um, like the, the attributes they gave him to make him that way of like, we should trust this guy. He's a wise person uh, is, uh, you know, the jazz records. You know, yeah. he's like, bring me some jazz records. Oh, funny. And then that's he's funny, like, he yeah. brings him like, okay, so he listens to jazz. So I guess that makes him cool. And like, you know, we should, you know, he's like, whatever, even though he's a murdering prisoner, he's still like, he listens to yeah, jazz. He's so he's got to be Buddhist. a guy. He's become a Buddhist. He's become, yeah, a, he know, talks about Buddhism. Um, and like, he's, he's picky about what jazz he listens to. Like Dickie brings him a few records and he like picks, you know, one of the jazz records and says, take these other two away. Um, you know, he, he openly acknowledges like, well, what do I know? I'm a murderer. And tells him to stay away from Tony. Um, and like, yeah, it, but but there was like that scene where Dickie goes to visit him in prison. And and then like, I guess he starts, his mind starts to wander. And then suddenly the uncle is gone. Do you remember this scene where he kind of looks up and there's no there's no one there in the prison room, like in the visiting area? No, and I wondered, I like, w- was that meant to convey that, like, did this uncle actually exist or was that just like Dickie so sort of under stress with the sort of like the internal war waging within him of like, you know, trying to be good, but also like trying to become a good sort of whatever. Mob so he's a, he's a, he was at the prison. He was at the prison and he looks up and the uncle is not there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He looks up. I think he like, I can't I remember exactly what he was daydreaming about. I think he was daydreaming about um, coaching Little League for the the, the deaf oh, kids the or something. Kids. 
or the blind kids. Yeah, yeah he looks up. He's thinking about it. He looks up, and the uncle's not there anymore. Oh, and he's he not sort there of like anymore? looks around. Yeah, and it, and that was like a weird scene where like is that sort of like trying to can like make it ambiguous about whether the uncle even exists? He's not figuring. This... He's telling. He's telling the uncle about it. He's telling him he... about me. I thought it was telling him. Yeah, uh-huh. but it's well, he's sort of like showing the images of the yeah. of him with these kids, and then right. it returns to him sort of telling the story, and he looks up, and the uncle's gone. And, you know, is that just sort of like, you know, Dickie getting lost in his own thoughts or is that the uncle not really existing? Right. Um, which I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would like that if that was just sort of like a figment the entire time or if this is just one of those things that, you know, David Chase is never going to reveal, which which is the right answer with the interpretation of this. Yeah. Um, how, does that, so, I mean, how does that how does that work? Because in The Sopranos in the show, they're always dreaming of stuff, right? And their dreams, nobody's imagining things right no one's imagining like you know i mean no I think one hallucinates okay. yeah no one hallucinates right and uh, yeah. they, that's a pretty strange hallucination i don't know if hallucinations like that exist where you're having like a relationship with like i think i had something like this when i was like a kid i think i had an old man i used to talk to but like I think an imaginary I half, friend i think i was always half dreaming i don't i think it was like it was something that always happened at night so i think i was dreaming uh when yeah this um, so that was just like a weird like aspect of of like you know that that inner like that relationship between Dickie and his uncle. But well, something else that was that that does connect back to the series that they did in this show. And I'm curious what you thought about this like little plot device. Very like throughout the the movie, but very in the opening scene, you hear Christopher Moltisanti speaking from beyond the dead. Right, and the, right. he's in the grave. Um, and you hear him talk about like, you know, oh, the little fat kid, that's my uncle. And he's sort of like narrating this voiceover. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess this is supposed to indicate that. So, so one of the things about the series was like this, this, this question hanging over it about like whether this, like the supernatural exists in the Sopranos universe. Do ghosts exist? Is there like an element of something like beyond this world? Um, and there were like a couple of weird scenes in the series. One was when Tony or not Tony, uh, Polly Polly visits that psychic. Do you remember? <laughs> Polly goes to that psychic. It's like a room, like a clairvoyant or something. There's like this yeah. r- people sitting in a circle. Polly goes to visit. And this guy who says he's a psychic starts like describing these guys Polly killed in his past, you know, in, in his past. Like, you know, what about this guy? This guy. And he, he, he names him, talks about what he was wearing when Polly killed him. And, and Polly freaks out. And he was like, this is twisted black magic shit. You fucking queers, <laughs> and he starts like throwing chairs around. Um, Wait, what? No, I, yeah, I didn't know this. This was in I a think dream. This, was, this in the, was a real thing that happened. This was a real thing that happened in the series. I think the first or second season. I don't know how Polly ends up there. Um, I gotta go back yeah. and watch this because I don't remember yeah. that. I don't. I mean, remember if you just, it's, I'm sure it's on, this scene is hilarious. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But Polly just like freaks out and and like starts like throwing chairs because he thinks that like they're doing satanic black magic. Um, I think I would have uh, remembered that because I would have. I'm conscious usually to that stuff, like whether the supernatural exists in a, in a universe. I still remember Game of Thrones when I first discovered the supernatural uh, exists was when um, uh, the uh, the Melisandre k- uh, kills. Um, who does she kill? Uh, what's his name? Uh, anyway, King Robert's brother who was trying. So I remember that was the first time I, I realized supernatural actually does exist in this world. It's not just a, like a medieval yeah. village or something. Um, yeah. Well, it's very subtle in the Sopranos. So, I mean, there was that scene with Polly. And then the second scene is where um, I can't remember what season or the specifics, but basically I think Tony closes a door and there's a, there's a, a, a mirror on the door. Tony closes it and walks away. But in the mirror, you see uh, a pussy, big pussy's uh, image. Like he's basically standing there. 
uh, and this was after Tony and his guys killed Pussy. So this was like the later season, season five or something when this happened. Tony closes the door and Pussy's standing there. And it's very quick. It's like a one to two second shot. And like that scene made Sopranos fans go crazy over well, that what that been. meant. Oh, yeah. Well, that could have been a, that could have been a you know like a like a, a hallucination, not a real hallucination. Like this. Well, is no one saw it though. This wasn't Tony seeing it. No one saw it. It was just Tony closed the door, walks away, and Big Pussy standing there as Tony's walking away. And so, oh, really? is this like I, I you know some people speculated that this was basically like like Big Pussy's ghost haunting Tony, like sort of following him around, or like basically like yeah, there's or, or it could have just been. Um, you know, I I don't know exactly what, but but people basically think that like this is a suggestion that like the afterlife exists in the Sopranos somehow, well, and of to, course right? like there's that all the seems... dream sequences. I missed this. Um, so th- this 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 is uh, so this was. I mean, that seems conclusive, right? Assuming that, yeah. that as you and, described. And so, like yeah, and so so in in many say it's like Christopher's like his ghost, I guess, is telling yeah. us this story. Well, but, I mean, yeah, that's settled, <laughs> right? The fact that his ghost exists. Right. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, I was going to say that there, there is no supernaturalness or like no more than this universe, which, cause that's what I thought. Cause I didn't know about those two scenes you just mentioned. Um, or I missed them. I, I don't know how I missed that, but the, especially the poly one seems like I would have remembered that, but, um, yeah. So Chris is still exists in some form. I, assume, mm. you know, he's, uh, you know, it's, yeah, that's, that, that is strange. Does that mean that go like because he like you know because he's talking about like you know the the fat kid is my uncle he's gonna grow up to kill me something like that so this suggests that like not only do ghosts exist but like Christopher's ghost can travel back in time (laughs) and like re sort of narrate everything yeah he knows all this stuff he knows his dad had the uh, had the thing in his pocket and that's why he's a junkie he found that what did you think about that though like what did you think about like you know them bringing back Michael Imperioli as Christopher to like just like voice over. Yeah, I must not. I mean, I was not happy with it. I mean, I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I went in with the idea that the supernatural just doesn't exist in this universe. But you're telling me it exists. But the way you you say it is like it's sort of mysterious whether it exists, and it's sort of it exists in ways that like we don't understand as humans. This is like he's thinking like he's a still. It's like a very like a cartoonish kind of supernatural world, right? He's like, oh, that's the guy who killed me. Oh, this, is, this is the old neighborhood. I'm gonna. I hated that. Tour. Yeah. I hated that so much. Like I hated that opening. Like I, I mean, I, I heard that this was going to happen, and I was like, "Oh man!" Like I, I, I hope they know what they're doing by, you know, by using that because they didn't have to. They didn't have to. Yeah. They could have found another way to sort of very briefly reintroduce us to these characters. And even the way that they did it was silly. Um, I guess like did they just want to bring someone back from the original series into the Sopranos somehow, and this was like their way of doing it? Because they gave but, him a voice. I mean, that's it. Yeah, his voice, a voice was there. And like, yeah, it was like he he opened it. He said a few words about like you know what's what's going to happen, and then he comes back briefly, and then he never comes back again, right? Like you never hear Christopher sort of like narrating. And so did he, did he say anything at the end? I no? don't think he no. said anything. They, like after punk, the midway when they point, swear together. Uh, yeah, the ghost of a. Uh, uh, right, a uh, Dicky or yeah, or yeah, he's, yeah, he's a dead body, right? Yeah, I thought that was so silly, and like, yeah, could, like if they're gonna go with the voiceover, then fine. Then couldn't Christopher have have sort of like, you know, lampshaded or, or like sort of highlighted? Okay, well, this is you know, th- you know, this is how my uncle got into the mob life, or like whatever. Like he just sort of like makes a couple comments here and there, and then goes away. So like again, like it, it seemed like non-committal. They didn't know what they wanted from this movie. Like it, it was like not quite finished or something. Like. Yeah, they they try to, yeah, just that that device totally fell flat for me. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, what do you think? So, you, I mean, you, you follow, like you listen to the podcast talking Sopranos. I just, I mean, I just watch the shows. I don't, I don't follow the, you know, a lot of these sort of larger discussions. What do you think? Because I, I watch a show and I watch this and it's hard for me to believe they were made by the same person. I mean, one is just so good and one is just, uh, you know, just so terrible and pedantic and, and political and not very interesting. <laughs> uh, and you said, you know, maybe he's trying to just like make the critics like, okay, like, but why, why does it, why is he doing that at his, you know, is he just an egotist? He just wants to hear the critics say he's, you know, he's a great guy or is he, you know, people genuinely become woke. I mean, the last 10, 15 years, it's happened to a lot of people. It's made them more political and thinking about these things, uh, things, these race and gender issues. And I think it's made them less interesting and complex people just because this, these ideas are just so bad and they, to adopt it, you have to sort of have this very simplistic view of the universe. Uh, but a lot of people have gone that way, right? People, liberals who might have 10, 15, 20 years ago been uh, reasonable people are now now insane thanks to thanks to wokeness. Uh, so, so what do you think is happening with uh, David Chase? What explains the difference between Sopranos uh, and the uh, Many Saints of Newark? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, a big one is that David Chase is much older. So he's 76 years old. And Losing I think- his mind? I don't think he's losing he's not his as mind. sharp as he used to be. <laughs> I mean, well, well, I mean, just, you know, inevitably that's going to be the case, right? Like if you compare someone in their 50s versus 70s, there's going so to be like, under, what, like 2007. The, the 2007. Original? Yeah. So that was 14 years ago. And yeah. And so like clearly there's going to be some cognitive decline between that, you know, the, you know, those specific decades, especially. But also I think like it's also possible, like, you know, beyond the political stuff is that. I think a lot of like older guys, like older creators, maybe like they get this fear that they're out of touch. And yeah. so like, I I think maybe like David just like consulted too many people. Maybe he was consulting younger people about like, how do I make this more relevant? Or like, how do I make this sort of like capture the spirit of the times, even though it's taking place in the seventies? Like, how do I make it like more interesting to young people? Like, you know, getting that sort of target demo, like, you know, who, who do you want as a, as a filmmaker, who do you want going out to the movies? And it's, you know, isn't it something like the target demo is 18 to 34 year olds? Like those are the mm-hmm. people who you want. That's, you know, that's sort of your, that your, your how, target. How an artist thinks, I mean, that, that's yeah. a disappointing if an artist thinks like that. Right. I don't, I don't know, but I think like, that's like one possible explanation is that David Chase was not like thinking about how to be true to the series or to his vision or something, but he just wanted to like, I mean, again, like he, 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 he said multiple times, like I wanted to make a really good gangster movie, him and his co-author or co-creator or whatever, but like they failed, like it wasn't a good gangster movie. Um, they could have made one. I think David Chase still had it in him to make a good gangster movie, but yeah, I, I, yeah, just like speak riffing on your point here about like why introduce all this weird political stuff um and introduce this character that no one had ever heard of and does is not in any way connected to the original series yeah yeah that i mean that all makes sense there's no good answer that's not gonna make you very disappointed in in david chase i guess um yeah i mean right i mean like you could have like 20 years ago 15 years you could have like a series that just didn't just didn't have black people at all right or did not have their um, like friends 
Well, no, no, even the little Sopranos, they didn't have they didn't have like a black friend. If it was made today, like there's like twenty things, a hundred things that would have been different, right? One of them, Tony would have had like some old black football buddy that he kept in touch with, and maybe like (laughs) other guys would have been racist to him, and then like Tony would have like you know acted different or something. Like you know, this they that experience has to be represented, right? You get you know, there's there's a lot of you know shows about black people, black gangsters, uh, and you know that's that's fine. Um, but now it has to be incorporated into everyone else's story, right? Um, and yeah, and so like, yeah, I mean, it's just it's a fascinating. I mean, you have to, you know, people are watching this in the future. I mean, I think it really is the difference between, you know, art is always has a message. It's you know, it's always political to a certain extent. Uh, but I think that you know the difference between these in the show and the movie is just that there was some threshold we crossed in the last decade, uh, where just everything is hyper politicized, and you could see like the difference between even even the wire, like the way the mm. wire was made. I mean, I you know like it wasn't like they were always shoving it down your throat that it was like white privilege that was like doing this. Like the wire is a show specifically about black people and inner city blacks and their struggles. And even that was nowhere close to the lecturing tone of this, you know, sort of the Sopranos movie about mm. like, you know, the, there's no scenes of like obvious white privilege. I mean, there's, you know, you, obviously, you know, that like, you know, they have, unique different like for example like the way the newark riot starts you said it was based on a true story like you know if you look at these these riots the stories are never this clear cut right because they they just the cab driver doesn't do anything he just takes a wrong turn the cops the two white cops take him out and just start beating him right and that's like how liberals think it happens but like these stories if you look into them they never start out like that and usually the guy is like doing something very bad but like that doesn't happen in like the wire it, the, the only it does happen when there's a the, the black guy there was this one sadistic like black cop who remember he like takes the kid's ha- uh, fingers and he like twists them back that's the only thing like close to it where like a cop is just sadistically beating someone and it's a black cop in that case right uh but no in this show it's just so black and white that like the you know black and white no pun intended like the black guy is just like you know completely innocent gets beat then the, the rioters right they you know the like the, the 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 police shoot the rioters which i think they might have used to used to do i don't know if that's the you know if they used to actually do that but you know the message is they're just you know shooting kids and they're the police are just beating them and there's you know there's no nothing you know there's no greater complexity to than that right it's all right it's all just righteous anger uh when the hood goes up in flames you know no concern about the people who's like lose their stores or businesses or lose their lives or get killed by other rioters or victims of black on black crime right no, no, that that doesn't exist here it's just so it's so political and it's just so one-sided and yeah. you know i'm disappointed i i don't think like there was like, a there's a similar show. Yeah. Well, there's a similar scene in a show, a uh, recent show that I think it was made this year, last year called Your Honor, which is the new Brian Cranston Showtime series. Uh-huh. Uh, so this is like, you know, Brian Cranston sort of like big return to like a big show after Breaking Bad. Now he plays a judge in the show Your Honor. And uh-huh. there's a scene in that 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 or that, that series as well of like, you know, this sort of very blatant police brutality um, towards like a, a basically like a completely innocent black kid. And, you know, it was, uh, like, I, I think like, like you're saying, like there, there is like a, an audience for that, like who wants to believe that that's how it goes down. It's never gray. There's never any sort of like moral ambiguity or complexity, like, and, and like, I, I think it does sort of like, it, it makes people maybe feel like good to experience that kind of righteous anger. But also like, I wonder how, I almost wonder how controversial it would be, not among viewers, but among like sort of critics and like the sort of cultural elites and intelligentsia, 
if like, you know, if, if like many saints depicted or, or any sort of like, you know, HBO or Showtime series depicted a, um, a more like realistic yeah. sort well, of, I mean, or, or something closer to true life. Yeah, of, like, nobody in know, the show is ever victimized by, by crime, right? I mean, you yeah. have the white flight, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, you have the burning down the cities, but the burning down cities is always because the cops were just sadistic and did something evil, right? But there's no like, you know, there's no idea that like, there's actually, you know, crime in these communities and these neighborhoods and like yeah. people who live, you know, close by tend to react to that, right? There, there's just nothing. It's just, there's these innocent, right? Black people and they're, you know, they're, they're going about their lives and they're, they're just which, being- Which itself is sort of like, you know, dehumanizing or sort of flattening, right? Like, like whether you view someone as all good or all bad, you're sort of stripping them of their humanity. Yeah. And like, like, which yeah, is one thing no, that The Wire did no so well. Evil. Was, no which is like evil black character. I mean, there's only a few black characters, yeah. but you know, there's the, the Herald, his friend who gets killed, who gets the tire. I thought that tire seat was cool <laughs> when they put that thing in his mouth. I thought that was, you know, old, that was really old school. Uh, you know? Oh, right, right. Yeah, that was yeah. really, that was rough, man. That was um, brutal. That was yeah. yeah. So those are the only two black characters, and none of them are that bad. They're they're criminals. Yeah. You know, they're as sympathetic as as criminals can be. Uh, and then the wife, and you know, he's got like a wife or you know girlfriend or whatever. Um, mm. Well, I guess like none of the mob characters were like flat out. E- well, actually, arguably, like okay, so so now we can talk about Junior actually. But like his dad, I think, was supposed to be sort of you know. You know, sort of a villain, evil. I suppose. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, yeah. If he kicked, he kicked. You know, he kicked his mistress or his wife down the steps, which is, you know, I guess, like, you know, to a modern viewer, that would be seen as like, you yeah. Know, but he's not. I mean, he's not good. He doesn't. He doesn't seem very nice or good in really other ways either. But you don't see him yeah. being generous. He's just like this, uh, you know, old man who does what he wants, and you know, uh, yeah, yeah, Junior, yeah, sort of, sort of junior. selfish. Yeah. But yeah. So, so Junior. Well, okay. So, like, well, first of all, I thought the so so. I think everyone else was like pretty well cast. Like, you know, you know, regardless of the sort of shortcomings of the, of the movie, I think like most of the characters were well cast. I thought Alessandro Navola was good as Dickie. I thought Gandolfini was, you know, the young Gandolfini was good as a young Tony. Um, And, and of course like Livia was, was great, but the guy who played junior, like, you know, the, I forgot his name. Like he was in like house of cards and like, I don't know, a couple of other shows, I, I I don't remember his name, but like he was not a good junior. Like first of all, he was too tall, and like his facial features didn't like the way he like sort of spoke didn't match either. I don't know. He just was not a good junior. They could have they could have found someone better to play him. But then, so the character himself, like you know, I found it interesting. Well, first of all, you know, sort of along these political lines, I kind of think they retconned Junior Soprano into being gay. Um, yeah, that's what and you there said, was yeah. There well, were sort of two uh, let's, scenes that, let's that go stood back to the out original, to me. So in the original Sopranos, yeah. what was the story as to why Junior was did, had he had he been uh, was he a widower? Did, uh, did, did, he, did was there any story about how, why he wasn't married? I don't he recall. Did I don't. Girlfriend. He did have. He had girlfriend, a girlfriend, but but that, so so that was interesting. So so there was like actually the whole reason in the, in season one why Junior and 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 arguably Livia, although that's made to be ambiguous, uh, um, tried to have Tony killed is because of that sort of personal. Uh, feud started by Tony making fun of Junior for for going down on his girlfriend. Remember, like the whole like there oh, was that was scene. That, was, that the, was that in response to that? I thought that was later. Yeah. Okay. That that was that was the beginning of the sort of like tension between Junior and Tony in season one. Um, you know, and then and then you know Tony has that that sort of funny scene with Carmela where he was like, you know, psychiatry and cunnilingus brought us to this. Um, and and so so yeah, in. in Tony or uh, Junior is never married in the series. Uh, he was never married before. 
it's never made clear why I don't think he never had children. There was, there was like, there were, um, sort of signs that he was, had always been interested in women. Um, when Tony visits his father's former Gumar, the woman who claimed to have slept with JFK, um, Hmm. she mentioned like, oh yeah, Corrado, he would always chase me around and call me, but I, you know, I was more in love with your father. She said something like that. So basically saying like Junior was like chasing her around when they were younger. Um, but then, so, so then in the movie many say it's like there were two scenes that were kind of weird one was um i guess like junior's girlfriend left him and all the guys were sort of making fun of him or something like you know yeah your girlfriend left you something like that um and then yeah she was with another then, guy well, i don't know if he was yeah yeah she, she, she cut cold at him or something he was with and another like, guy and they yeah, yeah and then yeah. they were like you know why aren't you more upset about this like basically uh sort of like giving him shit for like not being upset that his girlfriend left him for another guy and then there was the scene after junior falls down the steps and everyone you know dicky and i guess other people sort of laugh at him but like dicky like it's very you know sort of dicky laughs at, at junior he falls down the steps and then he's injured and then Dickie's with his Gumar, his girlfriend or whatever. And he like is unable to perform. And she says, um, any excuse not to fuck. Yeah. And is that like meant to indicate that like junior often makes excuses to not have sex? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not clear cut that junior is portrayed as gay, but there are enough like weird, like I think those well, two the fact signs. That he doesn't care. I mean, the fact that they make fun of him, I mean, that's a stretch. They make fun of him because his, girl was with another guy i guess that's you know that seems like a little bit of a stretch yeah the other scene is hard to explain uh like any excuse not to fuck but he's so he's clearly injured so like i don't think any girl would be that excuse seems yeah legitimate like yeah like okay he's injured but then if he's if he has used excuses before the injury then is that meant to convey that like he's and, and so then maybe they they tried to tie this in with the season one um arc of of junior being you know one of the jokes was that junior junior was especially talented at cunnilingus right he would go down on his girlfriend and then she was the one who bragged about how good junior was which is how carmella found out and told tony about it and so is this like one of those things where like well junior can't perform as a man Uh. and so he goes down on his girlfriend instead and and this is sort of like how he develops his reputation as a ladies man to sort of cover for his (laughs) you know sexual orientation or something I don't know, but like, is this, you know, because like one thing that sort of like um, makes me reluctant to just sort of say like, yes, they made him gay is because I think that if they wanted Junior to be gay, they would have been more blatant about it the way that they were about the racial stuff and the sort of feminist stuff. Yeah, they would have like had Junior like had a weird like, you know, Junior has like a secret boyfriend or something like they would have been very. They, they would have been more blatant about it, I think. But maybe I, they're I don't saving know. the LGBT angle for for the next prequel. They're going right? to make a Junior Soprano but, movie. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm like afraid of. Going to the tenderloin. Yeah, I was wondering and, where, where, where you have the feminist and you have the black thing. You don't have an LGBTQ storyline anywhere. And maybe this is just sort of the next step. And you know, the Sopranos just being completely checking every box. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I, that's my fear. I don't. Yeah. Like, you're right. It doesn't make that. That's that scene where he says, you know, she says any excuse, you know, not to have sex. Like there's no other explanation. Like nobody knows like why that excuse would be there. Like, like why would he be making excuses all the time? There's no, that was a, no it's way. just a very odd line, right? Like they didn't need to be put in there. And like, you know, one thing that we know about the series, and I think even in this movie, I, 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 I think I mean, is I, that just, no I line is an accident. Huh? 
like no no like there's no dialogue that's that's just an accident right like every piece of dialogue means something right it has to carry the story forward or or convey some kind of important information and yeah it's not a throwaway line i don't think yeah i think i think i think you're right and you know the fact that junior kills right dicky maltasante at the end would indicate that you know we're going to get more junior this junior guy who you don't like might be starring in another movie for what happens next and they could bring back uh james gandolfini's son to play, you know, play Tony at every at every age. I hope not. That would suck. I thought that right? because this sucks, <laughs> and I don't want to. I don't want to see any more of this crap. I like. I just. Well, just, just like, I, I thought that like the the arc, you know, with with Dicky, you know, you see him at the end getting the you know the TV trays, and then he gets killed in the driveway, and of course, like the whole movie. So this is like a sort of classic, I think, David Chase um, sort of like subversion is like he leads you to think that the 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 plot is going one way and then he like sort of changes it and sort of like undercuts your expectation and in a sort of like novel and clever way, I think, where like the movie builds up. They're trying, you know, you're, you're led to think that like Harold or one of his guys yeah. uh, is after uh, Moltisanti and then he's he's killed. And so you think like, oh. So Harold is the reason why Dickie Moltisanti died. It, it wasn't because remember, like, remember in the Sopranos uh, series, Tony takes Christopher to kill that police officer and says, that's the guy who killed your dad. Do you remember this? Um, they drive up to that restaurant uh, and, and the guys were the, the police officer in the restaurant's wearing a sombrero and Christopher is like looking at him like with anger. He's like, that's the guy who killed my dad. He and breaks into his house, right? He breaks into his house. Breaks into the house, like handcuffs him to the stairwell and and turns the tv up and shoots him and and the whole time the cop is is yelling at him like what like i have no idea what you're talking about you're being set up and christopher in like this sort of moment of 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 you know clarity or or you know maybe sadness he says like even if even if you aren't the guy i still have to do it right like basically i'm resigned to this life whether or not you killed my dad i still have to kill you <laughs> like that's basically what he says um but then you learn like okay so tony was manipulating christopher in that scene it wasn't the cop who killed uh, Dickie Moltisanti was Harold or one of his guys. And then later you learn that it was actually um, a junior who felt belittled and humiliated when Dickie laughed at him. And probably for other reasons, too, I would imagine like, you know, Dickie is sort of like this handsome mobster with like, you know, uh, a, you know, he's got a wife. He's got this Gumar. He's he's sort of like the, you know, the guy who's got it all going on for him. And junior is, you know, constantly sort of belittled by the guys and kind of like treated um not not very nicely and so he used you know whatever he he decided to have have dicky killed in that way which is kind of like an interesting thing that like junior is like responsible for basically the entire series of the sopranos right like he's responsible for tony becoming yeah. a mobster because like you know dicky was trying you know toward the end dicky was trying to like basically cut tony no, off dicky was bringing him back dicky's told sill tell tony come in tomorrow morning at like whatever Oh, but wasn't that just to give him the pills for the mom? No, or I, no? Oh, was only to give him. The, no, no, because I, I think it was, was like. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, that would that would have to uh, be. You know, that's a one interpretation. But no, Sil was trying to. He's like, he, you know, he he worships you. You know, cares. Well, maybe it was to tell him to, uh, you know, finally go away. But yeah. I thought it was like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have him in this life. You know, that, that that's fine. Yeah. that's what I thought it was to give yeah. him the pills, right? Uh, he could have given he could have given the pills anyway, right? He didn't need to be convinced. Yeah, by I cell. mean, it could have been both, right? Well, it's it's of course it's you know it's meant to be ambiguous what the intention there was, I think. But like you know, arguably, you know, Junior is the reason why this all kicked off because 
once Dickie's dead, Tony feels like some weird like obligation to him. Number one, and then number two is like, you know, he doesn't have anyone looking out for him anymore. Like that, I guess that was one of the sort of underlying themes is like yeah. Tony surrounded by bad male role models. Like his, his you know, his dad's kind of like a, a not not very bright and and kind of like whatever, just like not a good role model. Went to prison for a while, which is like when you see Tony start to get into trouble and skipping school and selling. Uh, or like cheating on his geometry tests and whatever is like when his dad goes away to prison, um, you see Tony getting into trouble. And then, you know, Dickie's kind of trying to look out for him, but then also like, you know, telling him to take these stolen speakers, <laughs> like, you know, also not, a, not, not the ideal uh, father figure. Yeah, either. I think Tony was going to be a thug. No, I mean, I thought he was going to be a thug no matter what. I mean, you think, I think well, just, I mean, I think, it's, it. I, mean, I think it was trying to be sort of like the, 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 the show, well, the, the movie was be when he threw away his speakers you know, mm. it was only because uh, it was only because uh, he was rejected by it. Wasn't it? It was because Dickie didn't like, like told him to go away. Dickie, so like he, he wanted, like I yeah, I think you naturally want the approval of of these guys. I mean, the mafia is cool, right? I mean, it's very yeah. cool at this time. Uh, right. and, like, that's your family, and like he's like big and he's tough. I mean, he's just gonna he's ideally suited. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's meant to be sort of like the, the, the movie's trying to tell us that Tony didn't necessarily have to go down that path. Maybe he would have anyway. I mean, you know, clearly he did. And like, I think like, yeah, even if Dickie had lived, there's a good chance he would have. But he there was a possibility that he didn't have to with like, there, of course, there's the scene where, um, you know, it, it's it's we finally have uh, confirming confirmed evidence that 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 uh, that Tony has a high IQ. He took the Stanford Binet, a legitimate IQ test um, and scored high. Uh, although Livia is uh, reluctant to believe it because t- you know, yeah. Tony only has like a D plus average or something. Yeah. And um, and then, yeah, the the, the um, school counselor also mentions this like, you know, bullshit personality test of the Myers-Briggs and like, oh, Tony's a leader or whatever. You know, which, like the test itself is totally bullshit. But, um, Was it but I guess like Tony well, I, mean, himself. I, don't, I don't think David Chase knows. I mean, David Chase still believes yeah. in Freud. So I, yeah. I, don't think he, I don't think he knows whether the Myers-Briggs has been uh, discredited. I don't think he's keeping yeah, yeah. the replication but, crisis. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of yeah, I, I don't even think like, Myers-Briggs is so outdated that I don't even know if it was involved in the replication. Like it's such an old no, kind of Freud is like, old. I mean, Freud is yeah. even older. I mean, the, but, the but at least, yeah. But at the least, we know that David Chase is, uh, you know, he's sort of based on on IQ, on IQ research. He's sort of, you know, he's not an IQ denier. He's got that. Well, he's, it's because <laughs> he's very. Well, it's like too, he's, I think his view of psychology is too old to like get into the IQ denial, right? It's like before, like before, the nineteen eighty, before yeah. the bell curve, like, <laughs> like, like hundred years old, right? Freud, yeah, yeah. like the, the the Freudian stuff is not, you know, it's not taken seriously by anyone. Yeah. Right? And so Freud, I think, goes out of fashion in like real psychiatry before, like. IQ becomes taboo, right? I mean, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think, yeah. I think people start being against IQ, and that, like after uh, after. But I think what's act. what's funny is that like this, you know, for all the debates and stuff about IQ, I think that one line, like depending on how popular this movie becomes, that one line will be enough to sort of like get a, like a, a young generation of people interested in what IQ is, right? Like Tony Soprano was high IQ. Let me look into IQ and what it is. I'm like, could potentially like, I don't know, red pill a bunch of young kids. On no, this. people know. But it. anyway, people, yeah, I think I, I think I denying IQ is, I think a very high. Nah. Thing. I, I don't think the average <laughs> person uh, doubts, like doubts intelligence is real. Oh, well, they don't, they don't doubt it. But but they could be like potentially sort of like, I don't know, they could look into it and become inoculated from all the, like the sort of denialism. 
But um, but anyway, so so anyway, back to but like so so he got the haiku. He's apparently like a leader or whatever. He's got the Letterman jacket. He plays yeah. football. Uh, yeah, like yeah, he, well, he had, a, he had a shot. I thought it was supposed to be legitimate because like he he does end up being a great leader. So you're supposed right. to believe the Myers Briggs is real. I think is the point of that. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't even think it's really about the test. It's more just to like indicate that like Tony's a smart guy. He has potential. He's got leadership qualities. Um, he could have like, if, you know, possibly if he had different people around him, if he wasn't sort of like enmeshed or sort of ensconced in this mafia life, um, he could have been someone else, but like, because of, you know, because of his family, because of who he is and where he grew up, like, you know, like there's that scene where he's with, uh, with Melfi and he says like, you know, you're born into this shit. You are what you are. Like, that's just, there's no changing your fundamental nature. Um, and I think like there is, there's, there may be some, you know, some, some truth to that, um, that the Sopranos, the series itself sort of took this stance that you're sort of born with a criminal disposition or you're not, um, you know, but there's that scene where like AJ almost kills junior. And then Tony like, you know, yells at, at AJ saying like, it's not in your nature. Like this isn't who you are. Whereas yeah. basically saying like, I am that person. Like I am a, in my soul, I'm a murderer. Um, yeah. But then like the movie tries to like soften him up a little bit, I guess. And like, Either either it's a trying to like say that Tony was wrong and that he could have been someone else, or it's it's sort of like you know whatever David Chase changed his mind since then is and is now trying to like yeah whatever I, like yeah, recast I Tony was so much focused on the racial stuff that there wasn't even like yeah there's <laughs> I don't think they gave it enough go, thought there's not much yeah there's not much to go on I mean um, yeah. yeah I mean one of my favorite things about the Sopranos I think you know I you know I think a, it was more skeptical of psychiatry because at one point, like he's like attracted to Melfi and he keeps hitting on her and he keeps saying, you know, he wants to be with her. And she says, Oh, you know, I'm like your mother or something. He's like, what is it? You know, I'm a man, you're a woman. Like, you know, it's that simple. And it's like, I think Tony is obviously <laughs> end right of story. Like, you know, yeah. You do not need like a complex psychological theory as to why a man would like a woman. Right. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of scenes like that or the one with the, we talked about this before with the, uh, where they're talking about, uh, AJ and that they're like, you know, which is it? Should we discipline him or does he have a disease? Right. And they're like, sort of like both. He's talking about these sort of the incoherence in what the guidance counselor or whatever is like, whoever the psychiatrist guide, because whoever it is in the show. And so there's like this pushback against the psychiatric worldview right here. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like the, the, the expert, it's like, trust the experts. It's like a Fauci, like kind of liberalism, right? It's like, oh, they gave him an IQ test. That's real. They gave him Myers-Briggs. That's real too. Oh, the drugs are good. You have to take the drugs or you're going to live a miserable life. Well, it's like, it, I don't know the, if it, if it, if it completely buys it though, because, um, Livia herself said, like basically is skeptical. She's like, she's I don't, you know, she's a miserable character. She's a miserable yeah. character who dies miserably. Right. I mean, so it's yeah, like, yeah. It, it, so yeah, I mean, you don't want to be Livia. I don't think that's like, the, that's you don't want to take her opinion about, yeah. you know, <laughs> what like, yeah, she's not the fountain of wisdom, right? She, she's like uh, a, yeah. the most miserable person in the world and she rejects <laughs> like, like using the drugs. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it, 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 there's it, less it, ambiguity in some ways about like a lot of this stuff about like, yeah, it takes a more sort of like hardline view about like, uh, you know, basically like more moralistic and takes on a sort of like more right, everything, liberal establishment view. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's really. I wonder if like, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly like what it could be. It's it's, it's like, yeah, I guess it's just sort of the era and the times it's and whatever. The, it's the resistance era liberalism. And they, all yeah. their braids have just become mush <laughs> and they just worship expertise and have this black and white view of race and gender. And I, yeah, I think that's all there is to it. I, you know, well, it's unfortunate. On the, on the, on, so one thing that was sort of back to the end of the movie, Many Saints, is when, you know, you see, 
Well, I guess we could just sort of talk about, um, you know, in these last, you know, this last little bit of space that we have is that like, uh, uh, to talk about the young Tony and sort of like, what do we think about him? Like, I don't know, like his storyline was like basically non-existent. Like, you know, you see him like sort of getting into mischief with his friends. They like, you know, whatever they, they beat up the Mr. Softy man, which is, that's like sort of seen as like no big deal, but like, I mean, that's a pretty like to carjack, you know, the ice cream man. I mean, shows a, disp- a certain disposition, right? Um, yeah. And it's supposed to be like innocent and funny, but like, no, it seems like a serious crime. Yeah. Because um, they're, but, uh, they're not making money, right? Like they were, like, that was one of the things I think that was, you tried to show that like, it wasn't that serious is that they that were giving worse. the ice cream I mean, away. I mean, that seems worse. They weren't trying to make money. <laughs> do it for the thrill. Uh, oh, yeah. but, well, <laughs> they were, they were, you know, they're giving the ice cream away and like, what, like, well, I think Tony's trying, like, you know, he didn't want to steal the speakers. He was um, whatever. Yeah, he was trying true. to get the meds that's for the mom. Weird. He didn't want to like. Yeah, he was like, oh yeah. He oh, even said like, like I, I'm trying to go to college. Have another sister, but besides Janice, what happened to that other sister? I don't. Oh, was she around? I thought there was like a younger. There was like a little girl. Was very that, briefly. I thought the other sister was supposed to be older. Mm, no, I think she's supposed to be younger, right? Oh, I don't, I don't even. Know. They they always were like kind of coy about that. There's, I think they wanted to do something with her in the early seasons of The Sopranos, and then like realized up. that the doesn't she show up when Livia dies? Is that what she shows like, up? Like very she briefly, up. she has like a fifteen seconds sort of thing. I think like they wanted to have like a bigger sort of family, but then they realized that the real action and chemistry was between Tony and Janice, and then like the other sister became an afterthought. Um, there was another kind of inconsistency here, which is that like a big sort of point of contention between Tony and Janice in the, in the series is how uh, when Tony was 16, Janice left when she was 18 years old, she left to go whatever, go to Berkeley, and, like go, go live her hippie lifestyle in Seattle and stuff and, and left Tony like basically like to be tortured by Livia by himself. Uh-huh. And, you know, you're sort of like led to believe that so much of Tony's anger and rage towards Janice is because she left him there alone when they were teenagers. But then is in that this, in, believe? I mean, that's so incomprehensible to me that a, like a guy who has Tony's intelligence, leadership potential, right, is like an adult. And he's still like living in fear of his mind. I just don't think that the world does not oh, no, work no, no, like no. that. No, like, like there was that scene where, where like, I mean, it, it was like one of the best, I think, like um, sort of um, uh, portrayals from James Gandolfini in terms of the acting was when he's yelling at Janice about like how she left him and how like, you know, she, you know, oh, you free spirit Janice, like, like rebel without a cause leaving while I'm there, like stuck with this woman and whatever, like how our head case of a mother. Um, well, I think like aren't, aren't sort of mobsters like, you know, well, this is, yeah. yeah, they, they love their moms. And like, you know, if you, if you read like a lot of the uh, sort of like the interesting, um, uh, well, I mean, we just sort of know this, like in terms of like co- you know common knowledge, but also like a lot of the criminological sort of qualitative research showing that like criminals often talk about how much they love their moms and how much their moms mean to them. You'll see like prisoners, you know, prison inmates with like you know tattoos of mom, like mom in, in a heart or something on their arm and whatever. Like, yeah, you know, that's just sort of like a common thing for thugs to like be. Um, yeah, I think that's very, about, very I, much. I haven't in, like, seen all those moms. I mean, I think that's probably like 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, fair but, enough. Well, but like, so, so Tony was like clearly like you know sort of enamored with his mom and really loved her and everything despite her mistreatment of him but then like okay so anyway you know janice leaves when he's 16 according to the series but then in the movie tony she's is still 17 and she's like still hanging around there and so if he's 17 she's supposed to be 19 and like that was a sort of weird inconsistency like they and they never mentioned it about like oh you're back visiting from seattle or berkeley or wherever like 
she's just there. And like, did they like just forget to like watch the series and, and get their facts in order about like what actually well, happened? I mean, well, well, wait a minute. If, if the, because she's there when the dad is coming home and they would want to okay. keep it from him. Wouldn't they, wouldn't she come back? Isn't that like, doesn't oh, that sort of make sense? She would come back. Mm, okay. Show That's up. Possible. And then, yeah. And then, but like, then I yeah, feel so like, I feel like either Livia or Tony would say something you know, like, like basically out her, you know, yeah. but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting, you know, that's possible. Yeah, I when suppose. does Johnny die? When does Johnny die? Like in the, in the, in the, universe? he dies before the series starts, right. but I can't, I don't know how far back exactly. And I also think that like the, the guy they got to play, uh, Johnny boy Soprano, the dad, he was not very good either. The, like Shane from the walking dead. Like, I don't know. They, he's not even Italian. He doesn't like, he 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 had like none of the mannerisms or charisma of the I can't remember the actor's name who played in Tony's flashback sequences when he's a little boy. You yeah. know, his dad like chopping off the guy's finger and like whatever, getting arrested by the cops later at the at the carnival or whatever. Like I thought that guy did like a good job of sort of like capturing like the energy and like the dynamism of like why why Tony loved his dad so much and idolized him, but like I don't see like why this guy just was not very um interesting to me as Tony's dad. Is that because like they, they didn't want to to what have an actor uh, draw attention away from Dickie, who's supposed to be sort of like the charismatic lead? They didn't want like Tony's dad to to take away the show, steal the show, or something. Like I don't know. I was just unimpressed with him. Hmm. I thought he was fine. I mean, I, I thought actually I thought the guy who played uh, Johnny in the in the show, I thought he was very actually underwhelming. He he didn't hmm. seem like he was not like he, he seemed like he was like an exciting guy who like a very energetic guy who does you know maybe he's fun to be around, but he didn't seem like he would actually have the self discipline to be like a real mobster. Well, this mm. guy sort of does like when he takes charge, <laughs> when he takes charge when he comes in, like, when he comes back from jail and he's like, you know, these, these black people moved into the neighborhood and like, <laughs> somebody's like, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're you know, like, oh, it's okay. He's like, he's a surgeon. And someone's like, oh, he's not going to operate on me. <laughs> so they did have that old school Sopranos racism, which was, uh-huh. they, they did have these seeds, but he's taking charge. Yeah. He's like, he's like calling himself responsible for the neighborhood, right? He's, and he's like telling his daughter to, you know, Janice to go upstairs and like put on something oh, more yeah. presentable. Uh, so he does have this sort of you know he does i think have this sort like of authoritative leadership yeah yeah it's, he's not and yeah of course tony would like that but you know there was i mean there was just no time at all to focus on any of the relationship between you know uh, tony and his dad right I, I like i can't even remember them like talking after he came home like he hugs him right like what like yeah there's no a, like real done, chemistry there you could have yeah, done a movie I, about the family you could have done a movie about johnny and olivia and uh and tony and then had like these other people as but no, you had to have the black story and then Dickie Maltesante, and then there was you know nothing left over for the Soprano, which is fine. Like if you really made Dickie Maltesante like fascinating and gave him a great story instead of just you know yeah, there's no arc like the you know he kills his dad at the beginning and then like he wants to be like a good guy and then he just like you know has a you know has a rivalry with the black guy and then you know ends up dead because he laughed at left <laughs> that's his whole yeah. story that was so uh, dumb yeah, yeah there's, nothing, there's nothing there's nothing there right it, and then like it just wasn't carried through like it, it felt like just one scene after another with with like there was no like common thread or like no no arc i guess um i mean he dies but the, like i i don't know there in the like just there was no layer, no symbolism. I didn't feel like there were any themes, like other than the sort of like moralistic political themes you're talking about. But there was no like, 
I don't know. There was just the whole movie kind of like did, did not um, the story fell flat, I think. And the characters, some of them were okay. The actors, I think, portrayed them pretty well, but they just weren't given good material to work with. What about um, the, uh, yeah. but the, the, yeah, the, the Maltesante. So he says, my wife can't get pregnant. He has a different wife later. Is, is that what happens? He divorces her and gets a new wife I, when he has Chris. I don't, that was weird too, because I, I, when that happened, I almost thought like, wait a minute. So is, is Chris the, so I almost wonder like, is it the Italian woman? Um, the, yeah, the Gumar it's is, not, but it's right. not. Um, or if, it, if that was just like a, because there's a the thing though, like if, if like they can't conceive and then later they can conceive, like, why did they throw that line in any, like, why was that a necessary? No, but when he comes, when he comes, when uh, that scene, when Johnny comes back from jail, when he's at his, uh, I think it's the same. It's the same person. Is it the same I, woman? I'm, I'm pretty but, but sure. He, no, but he is with the woman. I was. It might have. Might have. Must have been because he's with the woman later, uh, and so like yeah, he can't do. You know, so he's he still has the original wife later. Um, yeah, and so somehow she just ended up getting yeah. pregnant. Yeah, but that's another weird gay. thing. Maybe he's gay too. Maybe maybe that was an excuse <laughs> for him to be gay, and then finally he performed. <laughs> They're both well, gonna become gay. Yeah. <laughs> And then he ends up, you know, he should have ended up with, uh, with, with Corrado. Um, well, th- that was another weird, like sort of, uh, you know, whatever, like inconsistency with the series is that Tony is supposed to be only 10 years older than Christopher. So in the, in the very beginning of the series, oh, yeah. Christopher is 30 and Tony is 40. Um, but then in the movie, uh, Are 2017. Do you, do you know that's not that, that you looked this up? Yeah, yeah, I looked this movie. up on the HBO site and and on the on the grave in the movie itself. You see, um, you know, Christopher Moltisanti, 1969 to 2007, um, and and so yeah, but the, so like there's a 10 year gap between them. But then um, in yes. many saints, like you see to- the teenage Tony, you know, 17 years old with like the baby Christopher, and he starts to cry. Uh, and then, no, you know, the, like, I don't know, someone, someone, cool, right? yeah, someone makes that little <laughs> joke about like, oh, babies can see, you know, they can sense things from beyond the grave or something. Um, but like, okay, so now, you know, the ages got messed up here too. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of, there, there was like some, yeah, I'm, some I'm sloppiness thinking, yeah. there. Might just be, might just be sloppiness. We, we, there was, might just be senile David Chase. Not remembering what's but going on. But someone else should have caught that, or or they could have had that. They could have had the same exact scene with the uh, the younger kid, yeah, the young like Tony, five, the little fat kid. You know, like they could have had that same exact scene, yeah, or like Chris young being Tony, ten or yeah. eight, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, or or yeah, like or have like a young Christopher Moltisanti, like very briefly make an appearance or or whatever. And we didn't get to see. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed we didn't get to see. Um, a young Tony Blundetto, uh, Tony B, you know, the Steve Buscemi character, um, you know, like apparently like him and Tony went way back too. like yeah. he was part of the crew. And I think it would have been fun to see like the, their interaction too, like to That's get funny, someone who looks like a young Steve. He wasn't like the only one who had a higher IQ than Tony. Didn't, didn't <laughs> Tony, yeah. And Tony was insecure about it. Something. Yeah. 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 He, Tony was, yeah, he was a little like a little insecure about that, I think. But, uh, yeah, I, I, that would have been fun to have him back too. But yeah, instead of like so many of these other like plot points that they that they highlighted and and what do you and think about with, Sill and Polly? I, I thought the Sill was okay. I thought the Polly really wasn't wasn't very good. I heard someone it's hard say to that. Do. I mean, it's hard. I mean, to find someone like who could plausibly be somebody else like 20, 30 years ago is, I think, very very hard. Yeah. Um, well, so I'm not they... too strict on this stuff. Yeah, I thought they were okay. Um, yeah, I didn't have like a like I, I you know I thought as long as they got the main characters right, you know that that would have been fine. But it almost yeah they 
I thought they were fine. Yeah, I didn't really have a strong feel. They didn't do bad. They didn't do great. I don't think. Um, they weren't a big I, deal either. I mean, they yeah, a few, I didn't, basically. Well, the, one thing that they did Except was Paul was trying to, to fight the black guy. That's the only. That's <laughs> yeah. The other thing. Oh yeah, with his line. Yeah. Well, the, there was one funny scene with us with Sill. Right, you learn that Sill has a hair piece that that wasn't his was real hair. Sil? I thought that was um, who was that guy who uh, Tony murdered. What was his name again? The uh, the horse, the guy who killed the horse, and then Tony murdered him. That oh, Cifaretto? No, 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 that wasn't uh, Ralph. Ralph. I thought that was Ralph because yeah. Ralph had a hairpiece, right? I thought that yeah. was young Ralph. No, that was young. No, Sil? that wasn't. That Wait, was Sil Sil. was like twenty, wasn't he? Like twenty-two? Yeah, and he had a hairpiece. He was going bald already, and uh, yeah, he had the, which I think makes sense because his hair was like in, in the series, like like I don't know, very few men have such like thick, you know, such a powerful, strong, like thick mane, like a. Uh, like the way that still had and the way that it was combed and everything. Um, no, but that looked, so, I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't was, know. But that but was I, so, no, I thought it was, I thought it was a joke because it, Ralphie, you know, he had a hair piece and that was discovered. So I thought that was supposed to be Ralph. Was Ralphie in the movie at all or no? I don't think Ralph was in the, yeah. I don't think Ralph and Tony went that far back. Um, yeah. Ralph comes along later. Yeah. Right? He, he shows, but he, I mean, he could have been, he could have been around. Um, yeah. I thought it was, I mean, the whole dynamic was kind of intriguing because, you know, so <clears throat> there was uh, there was recently this long form piece in the New York Times called um, "Why Why Is Every Young Person in America Watching The Sopranos?" It was it wasn't it was okay. Like I don't know if it wasn't it wasn't like the most interesting thing, but it had some interesting points in there. And then one was that um, one reason why people um, identify with Tony is because Tony experiences imposter syndrome in part driven by the fact that he sort of climbed the ranks a little too fast because of who he was, right? He was Johnny boy's son and whatever. And, and then like, you know, you sort of see in many saints that like everyone does view like Tony as a little kid, right? Like Sills, Sills a grown up, you know, he's kind of young, but he's a grown up. Polly's a grown up, like everyone else around him is young and he's, he really is like this little kid and he's a high schooler. He's like, you know, and then later he becomes the boss of all of these people um, and I think, you know, he does a good job of it, but there is like, I think there were sort of like signs, especially in the earlier seasons, you know, when he's going through the power struggles with, with Corrado, with, you know, uncle junior and with, um, uh, Richie April, uh, you know, you sort of see Tony like, um, a little bit uncertain of himself, like a little bit, like later on he becomes like, he sort of grows into his role as the boss. But in the early seasons, you see him sort of struggling with this. I think like, you know, you're sort of like seeing the, the early signs of that is like, he's much younger than everyone. He sort of skipped ahead a little bit to get to where he is. Um, something, something, something like that. And, and then like, you know, the way that like every once in a while you'll see like Polly or one of these guys, like, especially later, like in season five, Feach Lamana, when Feach Lamana is released from prison and how he sort of like casually dismisses Tony. And then like when he, whenever, when later Tony confronts him about this, the guy says like, you know, I still think of you as a kid. Um, so I thought that was who's, like, who's you know, who was that guy? Who's, who's the, who's Peach, that guy? He was like the, he, Robert Lozier played him in season five. He was, uh, he had the gray hair. He had this very like deep, like, uh, gravelly raspy voice. Um, he's the one who sees, um, like one of, I think it was one of Polly's guys, um, doing like landscaping work. And Feach Lamana just goes up to him and beats him up and says, like, you know, it's, it's going to be my guy doing the landscaping around here now, like breaks yeah, the I guy's arm. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, I almost thought imposter yeah. syndrome. I thought the thing about millennials was they were like, they're egotistical and think they're great. And we also say they have imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that was the stereotype <laughs> of millennials, but I've, I've, whenever I heard imposter syndrome, I, I don't know if it's I imposter almost, syndrome. 
That seems more of a Gen X thing to me than a millennial thing. I always thought it was a very... I think there's a lot of things we we attribute to wokeness or we attribute to Gen X or millennials that are actually just female traits. So I think a lot of the, (laughs) a lot of like the crying at work stuff, like I've looked at these stories where like someone is crying at this job or that. And I never, they never, you know, I look for the gender and whenever I can find the gender, it's, it's never a man crying. And I always thought imposter syndrome was one of those things. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm psychologically abnormal. I've never, like, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't relate to it. I don't know. Do you mm. like? Do you relate to it? I always thought this was something that like women Sometimes. often feel, but I, I don't think men often feel. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just an unusual man. I, I mean, I think you're you're probably right. My suspicion is that there is like a sort of like on average there is a difference. But I mean, I think a lot of young uh, young guys feel it too. Or I think because um, on Twitter, like you go on Twitter and like it's always like whenever I hear this term, it's always like female, like young female academics. Like well, always. I think like well, I think like men feel it, but there's like this culture of there's a taboo that like yeah. if you're a guy and you're feeling a little uncertain of yourself, well, say so, yes, you know, you're like basically like you should feel bad it's, about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there's that, but then like, you know, it's, 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 well, it's unattractive as a man to reveal, to like publicly reveal your insecurities. Whereas if you're a woman and you do it, you tend to, um, elicit more sympathy and support from people. Right. Whereas like, you know, if you're a guy, it's just like guys don't really think it's cool to like see other guys do that. And women are like a little bit turned off to see it. Like, there's just no incentive for a guy to like talk about how, you know, how, how they felt like an imposter today at this academic conference or whatever. Like, it's just not that unless you're already established, right. Then there's sort of counter signaling component. If you're like a 50 year old full professor and you say to this day, I still have nervousness about public speaking. Then you get, you know, then everyone likes that because, you know, you're sort of like a, a senior person revealing your insecurities is, is sort of like praiseworthy, but not if you're like a young guy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like I, the, the imposter syndrome thing is, you know, that was like a sort of throwaway line in that piece. And I, you know, I tried my best to like sort of read it charitably as it connected to the show. And like, you know, I guess like with Tony, there was that element of like, he's this kid and he's like, literally every one of his guys is younger than him, right? Like, are there, I mean, of course, like Christopher and some of like the low level runners uh, in in the Soprano crew are um, younger, but then like his main guys, his key guys are all older. Mm. Yeah, I mean, right? is, I yeah. think he is so clearly good at what he does i mean compared to those guys right i think he sees them as bumbling i don't i don't th- you know even at the beginning i think he knows he's good at what he does you know is he is does he have imposter syndrome now i, I can't see it i mean it's hard for me to see it what, what what else does the what else does the new york times article say yeah what else do i remember from that piece i mean well it, it, he's i think one of the like the more interesting angles from that one was um you know basically people are feeling what Tony felt. And well, it's kind of an, like there was a change in tone, but what everyone remembers from the series, uh, which it starts with, and then it kind of like be, it doesn't really become like a key theme, except maybe implicitly is Tony saying, I came in at the end, right? Like yeah. the best is over. Um, you know, there's this sort of political undertone of like, you know, Tony picks up the paper and it's like, you know, yeah. Clinton announces well, deficit a- or whatever. There was a Wall Street Journal article that I that I tweeted about today about the Colombo crime family, and basically Whatever. they talked to some mobsters about like how all the millennials are terrible and they're all on their phones <laughs> all the times and they're stupid and they're soft. I mean, oh, it, so man. it's like it's like this Dude, is the real. That's tale. true though. This is happening with the military, man. Like I like yeah. I, I'm seeing this. Like I mean, you know, I, I, it's weird for me because I still feel relatively young to like 
you know, complain about kids these days. But like I so when I, I went through basic training at the end of 2007 and we got it was like prison. You got one phone call on the payphone to give your family your mailing address. And that was it. Yeah. And like my friend recently went through a, a Navy OCS, like basically Navy boot camp. And he was like texting me on his phone and I'm texting him back like, <laughs> dude, how are you texting me in boot camp? And he was like, oh, we get one hour of phone time. Like, <laughs> like you get an hour of phone time? Like, what the? And you know, like, I, yeah. there's a generational thing here happening, like, even within the last 15 years. Did you see this YouTube video a few years ago where there's, like, the drill sergeant? And the drill sergeant, like, they show, like, training now. And the drill sergeant is like, you will not uh, touch anybody without their affirmative consent. You will not uh, discriminate yeah. against anyone based on their race, gender, or sexual orientation. <laughs> I mean, it was it's yeah. really, yeah, you're right. This is, uh, yeah, this there's, is, this is like everywhere. Even among like the sort of tough professions or whatever, like, yeah. you know, legal and illegal sort of, you know, the, the military and the mafia, you're well, sort of mafia, seeing I mean, this. I think, a lot's going, I think a lot's going on, right? It, it's harder to like, first the Rico statues. I think that everyone, everyone goes back to that. Like it's, you can get the guy now on a conspiracy charge where before the, the head guy could just, you know, could, could keep his hands clean. So I think the, I think the law really, um, uh, you know, took their toll. Another thing is, I mean, they used to prey on like first generation immigrants who didn't speak English, who they could like extort for protection money, right? There's not many first generation Italian immigrants anymore. Um, it's harder to get away with crimes in general. I mean, with iPhones and stuff that wasn't there at the Sopranos, but you know, that came later. Um, and you know, there's just like more opportunities to like, there, there's more opportunities for smart people to do stuff. Right. Um, that, you know, they, they yeah. become, you know some kind of to go legit in some way. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's true. I think we talked about, I, mean, well, I think we talked about our last, the last, uh, uh, our discussion about Sopranos was about the suburbs versus city thing. I think that's huge. I think growing up in an urban environment doesn't let you become autistic. I think you have to sort of, uh, you know, you have to deal with people. They're just, you know, in your face all the time. So uh, there's a lot going on. Like, yeah. I mean, like the way they, the, the way they react to like the black guys in the inner cities, right. In that generation, they're, they're fighting them. They, they live right by them. They, they don't have any choice. Right. The, the next generation, they're just even Tony, right. They're, they're not living anywhere close to them. Um, yeah, they flee to the it, suburbs, right? Like they sort it, of like, you know, they yeah. move away or whatever. And like, yeah, the kid, like AJ is not getting into it. Well, there was actually a scene where AJ did get into a fight, I think in season one, and he gets his ass kicked. Um, mm. But he gets into a fight with this white kid at the school, some other Italian kid. Um, and like, yeah, it was like this minor thing. But like, yeah, generally, like these kids are, and then t- and AJ becomes like a much different character later where he becomes like sort of soft and kind of emotionally fragile and whatever. And, and so, yeah, so AJ is like this emotionally fragile character. And we talked at length about this last time about how like, you know, back one of the main themes of the Sopranos is like the sort of young male decline of like, you know, you, like Tony and his guys are like these sort of tough, like, you know, hardcore mobsters. And then like AJ is, is like, you know, yeah, he, ha- he has his sort of issues. And then you see uh, Jackie, Jackie April, uh, his arc is like, you know, sort of sad. He tries to join the mob, but he just doesn't have like the talent or the competence to do it. And Christopher succumbs to his addiction. And like, so all, all these young guys yeah. are are sort of like um, in this sort of generational decline. And I think like, yeah, maybe we were seeing this sort of play out in real life too. Like, the you know, The Sopranos was co- comment, commentating on something that was, that was actually happening in the culture, even back then in the sort of mid 2000s, which I think like even you know, like today compared to then is like actually a pretty big jump. You know, if you compare 2007 to 2021, even, even now I'm seeing like young guys are just different, man. Like they're soft. They don't like they don't want to get their driver's licenses. They're like they're on their phone. Like just, you know, it's different, man. Like I, I'm seeing this sort of shift now. Of, yeah. Uh, 
like just the softness. Yeah, it's um, depressing. Kids aren't allowed to get in fights anymore. Like, you know, that whole like anti-bullying movement. I'm, I'm not even saying like all of this is bad or wrong or whatever, but there is this sort of softness in young guys now where like kids don't get into fights anymore. Like I remember kids would get into fist fights like at l- minimum two or three times a week, a fight would break out in my school. And like, you know, it was sort of like a more lower income school or whatever. But like, I, I think like even among like those kinds of schools today, it's becoming a little bit more rare for, you know, sort of phys- the physicality is yeah. sort of declining um, sports yeah. and all this stuff, right? Like, and maybe it's because of what you're saying that like, you know, if you know, for there's, there's more opportunities for smart people, there are more things you can do with your time. Like, I think like part of the reason why kids used to get into fights is because they were bored. And now it's impossible to be bored, right? Like there's so many things on your phone that you could be looking at. Like you don't need to risk getting a bloody nose or something. Yeah, maybe they're just not seeing other people. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's yeah, they're well, just not yeah. spending as much time with each other. So they they have no opportunities to to fight. No, it, it, yeah, you're, you're right. And, and you see the uh, the generation of like, so there's no like greater greatest generation uh, people there. Maybe the the father, right? The, the older Dickie Maldasante, right? Uh, and so then you have, you see the difference, you see Johnny and, uh, uh, you see, you know, they're more, yeah, you see them, they're more mentally robust, right? Johnny, Dick Maltasante Jr. Uh, even Corrado for all his, he's got deep issues, but he's, uh, he's a, um, you know, he, he's not like, yeah, you know, he's not well, Tony himself, like, right? Movies. Like one of the things with Tony is like, it, it was a huge deal, you know, it's, it's sort of like faded away, but it was a huge deal in season one and maybe season two where, when he was going to therapy, um, you know, like Livio is like, he's going to see a psychiatrist. Like my, my son is all, you know, crazy. And like, you know, junior is, is concerned about this. Like basically everyone is like, you know, Tony's, Tony's losing it. Like he's crazy. Like who, why would he go to therapy? Um, and like, there's that scene where, uh, season one, Tony and, and Christopher are in the car together and Tony straight up asks him, are you depressed? Cause Christopher's talking about, you know, how, whatever, you know, how, how he's languishing or something. And Christopher responds like depressed. No, I'm I'm not a mental midget, you know, like sort of like trying to be a yeah. tough guy. Um, but you're sort of, I guess, like even even among like you know tough guys like Tony, you know, they still there's yeah, they were they were concerned about him. Like he's clearly tough, right? Like no one can deny that Tony was like willing to like you know get into fights, be violent, whatever. But even if he went to therapy, like, you know, he goes to therapy and people suddenly start questioning his like masculinity and his strength, like, you know, it was just a, a, it was a different mindset, that older generation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's too, um, yeah. I mean, you see the, there's, there's decline on many levels here, right? There's decline in like within the Sopranos universe. And then there's the decline we're talking about between the original show and the, uh, <laughs> and the show and, and, the, and, movie, the, yeah. and the movie. Yeah. So we, we've connected to a societal decline. Yeah. This left me depressed. I'm not gonna, yeah, I can't, I can't. Oh, I would, yeah. I would, I, I would be, yeah, I, I, I will be, I mean, I'll be unhappy if there's, if there's more, if they do anything more with this, right. I, I, I would like to just, live my life like this this never existed and this is is, is not getting yeah yeah well that's that's one of the great things yeah i think it was yeah the movie itself was like i don't know there's just a lot about even the way it was shot like the color palette it looked like like david fincher directed it like that sort of cold blue scheme like it didn't feel like the sopranos at all i don't know there's just so many things so many things about it that were i think that were, were sort of misguided or 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 not well executed yeah 
So is there anything else we should uh, let, let the viewers or let the, let the listeners know about the movie? Oh, I don't know. I think we, we did a pretty good job dissecting it. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious, like, uh, you know, if you if for viewers who have watched the movie to uh, to comment, you know, on this video, like what, what you think we got wrong or just sort of like what your opinion of this movie was. Was it better than we thought? Was it worse? Just um, yeah. curious if to hear the thoughts comment, about this. Comment on, uh, on the sub stack where this will go up because you don't want to get lost in the YouTube comments, which if this blows up, they'll, they'll, they'll just be stupid. And so we'll have, to, we'll have to really work to find the good ones. But in the sub stack, they're pretty much, you know, they're pretty much all higher quality. So, so just comment there. And uh, yeah, we, we look forward to see, uh, seeing what people think. And uh, this was fun. Until next time, Rob. All right, cool. Take care, Richard.